to a good start, which is good. Today we're going to be talking about miracles, which is a good subject. But before we talk about miracles, I want to talk a little bit about anxiety. And I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Not going to ask anybody to raise their hand. But if I asked any of you and the people online and watching online, you know, do you ever feel a little bit anxious? Yeah, I mean, do you ever feel a little bit unstable? A lot of people are participating this morning. But I think you know that feeling, you know that the experience, that feeling when, you know, your day is started, you kind of expect a, a good day to be happening, and suddenly you feel like your emotions start to overtake you. I mean, you start out like pretty positive, then something happens and you're like, oh no, my life is falling apart, and maybe the next minute it shifts back to things are okay. And some of us, you go through multiple cycles in a day. Sometimes at the end of the day, you're simply tired just because of the emotional workout that you had. It doesn't even matter the other things that you've done that day. Now, my guess is all of you probably relate to that. Maybe one time or other, you've experienced that where your emotions kind of seem like it's just a roller coaster ride. And you have no idea if you're going to be able to get off. I recognize that. Kind of that was my day yesterday. Oh, it wasn't that bad. Let's see, I'll tell you, I like to say, I'll, you know, the pastor, off, to be honest. So normally I like to have my message pretty much done by Saturday morning. I like to work on my mor- message on Saturday morning a little bit, but it's pretty much done by Friday night. I got up Saturday morning and I had not start my message yet. So I'm like way behind and I do not like that feeling. That is a very anxious feeling for me. But I get up early and I thought, well, maybe I'll have it done, but I didn't get it done. And then I had to go to a three-hour meeting and I got home and I just kind of a little anxious about it all morning. And, and I'm like, Jack, you, you're letting your anxiety get a hold of you and your message tomorrow is on what? Anxiety. Your message is on what do you do when you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed by your emotions? So... Uh, I can tell you that I did eat six Twix bars in about two, three minutes. And I was like, you are the pastor. There were little ones, though, the mini ones. So a little disclaimer here, they were the mini ones. I figured six of them probably added up to one big one. Normally I don't eat that, but I was so stressed out. And Sam has a big bag of candy. But I think you know what that's like where suddenly you're doing things that you're like, normally you never, I don't like Twix. But you're eating them because your emotions are getting ahead of you. So I want to talk today a little bit about emotions in the midst of talking about miracles, but I want to ask the question, is there any way to reduce the toll that your emotions can have on you? Is there any way you can kind of reduce that level of anxiety that you're experiencing when your emotions seem to be carrying you away? So I want to talk a little bit today about a young man named Timothy in the Bible. He's a young man that I think many of us can relate to. We can relate to Timothy because it appears that he struggles a bit with intimidation. I think it's pretty safe to say that Timothy struggles with intimidation, which is kind of a fancy way of saying that his fears and anxiety are actually having a great influence over him. That in some ways he's held back a little bit because he sometimes experiences some fear and some anxiety. Now, I have to say we have to give Timothy a little bit of slack, a little bit of grace, because Timothy is the young protege to the Apostle Paul. And what Timothy's a little bit nervous about is that he's following in the Apostle Paul's footsteps, and he knows that the Apostle Paul gets beat up a lot for being a follower of Jesus. 
So I think part of Timothy is like, wait a minute. <laughs> if this, my future is going to look like Paul's, that's going to take a little persecution, a little jail time, and probably get slugged a few times. So there's a little bit of understanding you get for Timothy because he gets a little nervous because nobody likes to get beat up. Let's be honest about that. But I don't think any of us expect to Timothy, we don't, none of us expect that Timothy would be a character in the Bible that would struggle with intimidation. We kind of expect because he is a young budding apostle that he is a, that he is a church planter and he's very successful at what he's doing at a young age. We don't expect him to struggle with an emotional roller coaster. I think we kind of anticipate that, you know, Timothy is this young, take charge, Enneagram 8 kind of driven leader. We think nothing is going to bother him. In fact, we think he's probably going to be a little bit immune to the struggles of anxiety. But yet, I think we have to be honest, and I don't think there's actually any immunity to feeling anxious in the world. I think we're all going to experience that one level or not. But I want to get back to, is there any keys that we can learn from in Scripture that would help you in the midst of your struggles? So the Apostle Paul, which is Timothy's mentor, gives him some really good advice on what to do when you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed about your future. And it is such good advice that Paul gives to Timothy that the verse that I'm going to read for you is consistently one of the top 10 verses that's looked up on Google. That tells you how good of a verse is. This is one of the top 10 Google search verses. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given you spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. My guess is most of you have heard this verse. And if you haven't heard this verse, after I talk to you about this verse, you're going to start to see it everywhere. Because if you go to any kind of Christian bookstore, it has found its way onto every coffee mug, every wall art, every sweatshirt, every notebook. I mean, if you've been a Christian for longer than 10 years, somebody's probably given you a coffee mug once or twice in your life that says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and sound mind. It's kind of a good verse. That verse is used over and over again to encourage people that are experiencing fear. We talk to people about that verse when you're feeling overwhelmed by your life and about your situations in your life. We share that verse with people who are worried about their future. And so this verse is pretty popular. And it's a good idea to remember this verse. It's a great verse. But I'll be really honest with you. I think the application of this verse kind of misses the mark in the context of what Paul is instructing Timothy. I don't think Paul was actually encouraging Timothy to sit back and meditate on that verse when he felt anxious. See, normally what you find in the Bible, when you see a very famous Bible verse, usually that should, that should encourage you to look at the verse that comes before it. That verse that comes before it, I think, is what Paul was really saying to Timothy. When you look at the context of what Paul is saying to Timothy, you have to go to the verse prior. In the prior verse, in verse 6, listen to what Paul says to Timothy. He says, Therefore, Timothy, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. Other translations will say, Timothy, I want you to flame the spiritual gifts that God has given to you. 
I'll be honest with you, I didn't really notice this until my wife pointed this out to me earlier in this week. See, sometimes I think we, we're, we're missing exactly what Paul is saying. See, these two verses are really good verses. I encourage everybody to memorize them. I encourage everybody to meditate on them. But so often in the Christian world, we've separated these two verses. These verses are best understood when they are together. See, Paul was not saying to Timothy, hey, Timothy, when you get intimidated by your life and about your circumstances, I want you to sit back and I want you to meditate on the verse. I want you to meditate that God has not given you fear, but God's given you power, love, and sound mind. That's not what Paul was saying to Timothy. Now listen, that would not be bad advice at all. It's never bad advice to sit back and meditate on that verse and remember that you don't have a spirit of fear. But the actual grammar of verse 7 begins with a preposition for that tells you you need to look at the verse that comes before it and put the two verses together. Paul's actual advice to Timothy was this. He said, Timothy, when you're feeling overwhelmed by life and about life circumstances and you're not sure what to do about your future, you need to stir up your spiritual gifts. You need to stir up your spiritual gifts. You need to fan into flames this fire that God's put inside of you. See, what Paul is saying to Timothy, he's given them the illustration of a, like the campfire. You know the campfire when you have a little log out there and it's getting to the end of the night and it starts kind of, all you see is the little embers on it. It's going to go out. It's going to go out in a little while. He's saying, poke it. Poke it. That will start the fire going again. That's what he's saying to Timothy. Timothy, you're feeling intimidated now. You know what I want you to do? Poke your spiritual gifts. Stir up your spiritual gifts. Get your spiritual gifts to get on fire for you. Because if you sit back and do nothing, what's going to happen to that fire? It is going to completely go out. See, Timothy had a little bit of a problem of sometimes neglecting his own spiritual gifts. See, in 1 Timothy 4, 14, it says that Paul said to Timothy, don't neglect the spiritual gifts you receive through prophecy spoken over you when the, elders, when the elders of the church laid hands on you. He's saying, Timothy, don't neglect your spiritual gifts. See, sometimes Timothy had a pattern of doing that. And I think what Paul is saying to Timothy is you've let some of your gifts go dormant. You haven't been using them. That's why you're starting to experience a lot of conflict in your own emotions. So how do you stir up your spiritual gifts? What do you do? Well, first of all, you start using them. Sometimes you start remembering that you actually have them. Sometimes you start putting your spiritual gifts into practice, or you ask God for more spiritual gifts, or you discover more spiritual gifts, or you actually learn how to use your spiritual gifts. That was the advice that Paul was given to Timothy for his timidity. His advice to Timothy was, look, in the midst of your fear and intimidation and instability, use your spiritual gifts. That's what Paul was saying to him. His advice was, Timothy, in the middle of all your spiritual conflicts, Use your spiritual gifts. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, okay, you're talking about spiritual gifts benefiting Timothy, but I thought spiritual gifts were always used to benefit other people. Okay, that makes sense. See, let me give you a classical definition of spiritual gifts. 
It's in your notes. The spiritual gift is a special ability given by the Holy Spirit to every member of the body of Christ, according to God's grace, for use within the context of the body. See, spiritual gifts are abilities that God gives to followers of Jesus to help us to serve other people. However, what we see in this Second Timothy passage that spiritual gifts are given more to just help you are are given to you as a tool to help other people, and they are given to you as a tool to help demonstrate the gospel. But they're also attributes that God gives to you to meet your own needs as well as to meet the needs of other people. And part of the reason God gives you spiritual gifts is to produce in you wholeness and restoration. Your very own spiritual gifts are part of the plan of restoration and wholeness that God has for your life. Well, why? Well, first they teach you to rely on God. They teach you to depend on the Holy Spirit. They teach you to surrender to Jesus, and they teach you how to serve other people. And as you serve other people, you find God blessing you. It's sometimes counterintuitive to think that if I take care of somebody else, my needs are going to be met. But that's the economy in the kingdom of God. Sometimes the best way to meet your needs is trying trying to meet the needs of another person with the exact same need. That's not a way we can manipulate God, but that's simply the way that God set it up. Sometimes the very best way to have your needs met is to serve somebody that has the same needs that you have. So in times of crisis, in times of conflict, Paul is saying to Timothy, lean into your spiritual gifts that God has given to you. Because when you lean into these gifts, you will find the attributes that God has given to you will help produce some stability in your life. Why? Because God always wants to show you that he wants to meet every single one of your needs. That makes God happy to meet every one of our needs. That is not a burden for God to meet your needs. That's actually what he wants to do. God is most happy when he is meeting the needs that you have. Listen to this verse in Isaiah 58, 11. I love this verse. This verse has become my new favorite Bible verse, and it's thanks to Lori's where she read it in church last week, and I've read that verse every day for the last week, and I think I've prayed it over everybody in the world because it's such an incredible verse. It's actually this verse pretty much is a good summary of what God wants to do for every person. This is what God wants to do in your life. It says Yahweh, which is, that's when I like this translation, it says Yahweh, that's God's fancy name. That's his fancy name when he says, I'm really serious. And this translation uses this word appropriately because God is saying to you, I'm really serious about this verse. Is God saying, I'm not messing around. This is what I want to do for you. And so this verse says, Yahweh will always guide you where to go and what to do. He will fill you with refreshment even when you are in a dry, difficult place. He will continually restore strength to you so you will flourish like a well-watered garden and being like an ever-flowing, trustworthy spring of blessing. 
That's what God wants to do in your life. God wants to guide you where to go, what to do and what to say. God wants to give you a refreshment in the midst of the most difficult seasons of your life. God wants to restore strength to you. God wants to make you like a well-watered garden. And he wants you to be an ever-flowing spring of blessing. This is a picture of health and restoration. Think about a beautiful garden in the summer with no weeds in it. That's abundant. That has some flowers growing around the perimeter of it. That's what God wants to do in your life. And he's using this picture of a garden to speak of the restoration that he wants to do in your life. And we hear that verse and we're like, yeah, I really think I would like that. That sounds really good to me right now. Especially when you're looking outside and it's pretty cold and there's nothing growing. But I'll be really honest with you. There's some people that really like this verse. They like the idea of being a beautiful garden and refreshment. But they're pretty comfortable with never becoming an ever-flowing spring of blessing. There's some people that are like, yeah, I'd rather give than receive. I think we've met some people like that at times. And there's times I can be that person. I can be the person who I'd rather just receive than give. But again, in God's economy, he wants us to be givers. See, the thing about water is this. Stagnant water or water that doesn't move becomes poisonous. It becomes dangerous. You put water in just a little puddle, it's going to be pretty dangerous to you and to other people. That's why God wants to make you a spring of blessing. That it's a spring that the water is constantly flowing out of your life. That the blessings that God gives to you are constantly going from your life and they're blessing every single person around you. And see, that's God's desire. That there'd be so much transformation in your life that you become the key of blessing to other people in their life. And that sounds good. That you'd receive so much from God that you would be like that spring and you'd want to pour it out on other people. Now, if you've been with us the last few months, you know that this entire year we're talking about three things. Spiritual gifts, spiritual formation, and spiritual conflict. And we've been talking about the spiritual gifts. I'm starting in the list from 1 Corinthians 12. And on this list, it lists, lists nine of the spiritual gifts, and I've been jumping around talking about them. And today I'm going to talk about the gift of miracles. That's a good gift. Now, last week we talked about the gift of healing. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of pastors, when they talk about miracles, they're going to do miracles and healing in the exact same service because there's a lot of overlap between the two of them. Sometimes it's hard to figure out which is a miracle, which one is healing. So what is the definition of the gift of miracles? Let's start out here. The gift of miracles is a special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ. 
to serve as human intermediaries through whom it pleases God to perform powerful acts that are perceived by observers to have altered the ordinary course of nature. That's a miracle. I like this definition because God pleases God to use you to participate in miracles. God wants to bless you and God wants to use each of you as a key to performing miracles in other people's lives. That makes God really happy. But at the same point, we sometimes get confused a little bit. Well, what is a miracle and what is healing? And like I've said on almost every one of my messages on spiritual gifts, it's hard to kind of really pinpoint exactly what each spiritual gift is. Kind of look at prophecy. Prophecy looks a little bit like a word of knowledge. And, and so sometimes the definition of the words overlap. And that's okay. You don't have to have like that tight of a definition. But the gift of miracles can be anything from a person's own personal salvation experience. You come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's a miracle. When you get set free from the power of darkness, that's a miracle. When God splits the Red Sea open, that's a miracle. When God, God stops a war, that's a miracle. When God takes a little boy's lunch and multiplies it to feed thousands and thousands of people, that's a miracle. When God heals a sick person, that's a miracle. We see over and over again, miracle after miracle all throughout the Bible. But often when Jesus would perform miracles in the New Testament or the apostles would perform miracles, they were used to be evidence of the power of God. Some would say that miracles were signs and wonders to demonstrate the power of the gospel. Or some people say they were to demonstrate that God defeated the power the, the plans of the enemy. So this is what's interesting, though, about miracles. Even though miracles are these powerful acts that can change the course of history and are remarkable to see because sometimes you see a miracle and it's called a miracle because it doesn't happen on its own. That some people can see a miracle or have experienced a miracle and yet at the same time get distracted and walk away from God. There's a consistent theme in the Bible where people that have seen incredible miracles will still walk away from God. And you wonder, well, now how did that happen? Let's read Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. So we must listen very carefully to the truth that we heard, or we may drift away from it. Now this scripture is written to Christians. It's written to people in the church where the author is saying, look, we got to remember the truth that we heard about Jesus, or we may drift away. Then verse 2, For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm, and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who have heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chooses. See, this text says that God confirmed our salvation through signs, wonders, and miracles. Y'all think miracles would seal the deal. Kind of you understood, you saw that miracle that you would have no doubt. But there's something really at risk in this paragraph. What's at risk? 
drifting away. Drifting away from the gift of salvation that God has given to you. See, the writer uses some brilliant Greek words to help paint a picture. This whole idea of drifting away is to give you the illustration of a boat drifting away that's not tied to an anchor. Another definition of the word drift away is the word to slip away. That suddenly you would slip away from an anchor. The big point the author wants us to see is that drifting away from the truth is pretty easy. It's pretty easy for a person to slip away from the truth. In fact, if you want to slip away, all you have to do is nothing. Nothing will cause you to drift. Doing nothing will cause you to drift away from God's truth. In other words, neglecting your own salvation will cause you to drift away. That's part of why Tim, that Paul was saying to Timothy, you got to stoke up the fire inside of you. Otherwise, you're going to drift away, Timothy. Another word that you could say about this Hebrew passage is by neglecting your salvation, you're neglecting the miracle that God has given to you. We need to steward the miracle of salvation that God has given to each of us for our own good, and so also we can be used as a blessing to other people. See, this word about neglect is the same word that was used in Matthew 22 when Jesus invited everybody over to this big banquet. And they said, no, I'm too busy. Everybody came up with excuses. It's the same word of neglecting. Now, it's important to remember that this chapter is written to believers. It's written to people inside the church. It wasn't written to people that did not know Jesus or were not following Jesus. It was written to people inside of the church saying, hey, you got to take this really serious because if you do nothing, you're going to drift away from what God has for you. See, one commentary says it really well. It said, the reason many neglect their salvation and drift away is because they never see it as salvation. They see it simply as receiving something, not being rescued from something. See, your salvation is a story of rescue. It's a story of deliverance. It's a story of being delivered from the powers of darkness into the hands of Jesus. Our salvation is valuable because it came to us by God. It was a gift to us from God. And our salvation came at a very big price. Somebody had to die on a cross for us to receive the gift of salvation. And our salvation is great because we were spared from a big penalty. See, our salvation experience is pretty much twofold. We are being saved from the power of darkness for a relationship with Jesus. And that is called the miracle. See, the Bible tells us that miraculous signs will follow those who believe. Mark 16, miraculous signs will follow those who believe. See, we should all expect miracles to be part of our life. 
Miracles are part of our daily life. See, if you're here last week, you heard me when I talked about the gift of healing. I said the gift of healing is simply receiving now what God has for you in the future. The gift of healing is when God says to you, you know, someday when you go to heaven, everything's going to be made new and your body's going to be restored. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you this gift of healing and I'm going to give you something from heaven right now and so God can miraculously heal you. That's the same thing as a miracle. When God says to you, I'm going to give you some of eternity right now. I'm going to invade your life right now with my power and I'm going to transform the course and the trajectory of your life so you experience heaven right now. And that's what happens when we become the well-watered garden. That's what happens when God refreshes us, encourages and saves us from the power of darkness so we can have a deeper relationship with Jesus. Those are all called miracles. Miracles happen in our life every single day. And that makes God happy to give us miracles. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have received at least minimum two miracles in your life first you've been a recipient of the gift of salvation and you've been the recipient of the gift of deliverance you are delivered from the power of the enemy and you're saved for a relationship with jesus christ those are two miracles that have at least happened in your life that have altered the course of history that's why we call those divine reversals that's what we're celebrating this whole month, that there are two miracles that God has done for you that have changed the trajectory of your life. You were going, your life was going in one direction, and God came in with a miracle that was a divine reversal and turned your life completely around so you can have a relationship with Jesus. See, someday we're going to get to heaven. You're followers of Jesus. You've surrendered your life to Jesus. You will get to heaven and everything will be put in proper order. And we long for that day because we all deal with pain and suffering and anxiety and doubt and trouble and sicknesses and have to go to the dentist. We all have those hard things in life that we like to avoid. But sometimes God says, you know what? In the midst of your life going on right now, I'm going to give you a miracle. I'm going to let you experience a little bit of heaven right this very moment. And God says to us, we should expect that in our life. He doesn't say, once in a blue moon, maybe you'll see a miracle. He said, miracles should be part of a believer's life. That means we pray for people with faith and confidence that God would heal them and restore them. And if it doesn't happen immediately, then we pray that God would bless them and give them the grace while they wait. But we always have expectation that God is going to move, that God is going to do something in our life so we can experience some of heaven right now. God intends for us to use the gifts that he's given to us to bless people, to encourage people. Not just so we can be blessed, but that we can bless other people. So often we have an excuse and we say, well, I'm not good enough yet. I'm not, I'm not smart enough or I'm not prepared enough or I don't know enough. I really can't use my spiritual gifts yet. 
that's really not a good excuse. It doesn't work well. Simply because it's the power of God working inside of you to do something, it doesn't matter how mature you are. Now, character is important. Character is important. That's why we talk about spiritual formation. But when you've got character, you can about do anything. When it's the power of God working through your life. And sometimes we'll see, and I get it, sometimes you are in a season of receiving. There's no doubt about it. Sometimes, you know, you're in the ICU. You're in a moment of receiving, and that's good. I don't want to, you know, get somebody out of a timing when God's doing something in your life. But sometimes the best way to get better is to serve some other people, to kind of take a little bit of a risk, to step out and say, I'm going to do something that's going to make me a little bit uncomfortable in using your spiritual gifts. That's what it is a church that we really want to do more of. We want to, we want to meet people in our neighborhood we want to go to the streets and talk to people. We want this church to grow not because people have just transferred from other churches, but because they're new believers, people that don't know Jesus. You know, last week I told you we brought, um, we brought pizza to a bunch of uh, young people in a shelter that are experiencing homelessness. And thank you for your generosity that we as a church can do stuff like that. We brought pizza to 30 young adults, and they loved it. Do you know what their comment was? And we we couldn't all go there because of COVID, so I brought 10 pizzas and some huge cupcakes from uh, Costco. Do you know what their comment was? When are you coming back? Now that's good. They were happy because we brought them good pizza. They noticed we didn't bring them the cheapy pizza. Now could you imagine what they would have done if I brought them Portis cupcakes? I mean, (laughs) that would have been amazing. Yeah, but that's what they said. When are you coming back? They're excited for us to come. We're small, but we can make a big impact, and we're excited for that. We're excited to be a church that's growing from people that don't know Jesus yet. That's what I'm excited about. See, Mark 6 says miraculous signs will be part of the followers of Jesus. That's what we can expect. But if you're not valuing your own salvation miracle and your own deliverance miracle, you're not going to see miracles in other places. When we really value that our salvation was a rescue, then we start seeing more and more miracles. I love how the ancient rabbi said about Purim. He said, Purim, it is our responsibility to tell our stories of rescue. We've all been rescued from something for something. That's why we're celebrating. That's why this whole time of year is a big deal because we're celebrating our miracle. And we're celebrating that God is forming us into people that can help be a miracle for somebody else. Amen. Who wants to be used by God? Who wants to be part of God's strategy to see miracles happen? We all do. We all want to see miracles. We all want to see God move in power. So let's pray and see what God wants to do. So God, I come before you, and we thank you, Lord, for this message. 
And we thank you, Lord, that it pleases you to bless people. It pleases you to restore people. It pleases you to do miracles, to bring healing to people, to bring wholeness to people. And so, God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would minister to each and every person that is here or is watching online. God, I pray that your Spirit would move amongst us, Lord, to bring healing and wholeness and to bring us more deliverance and more restoration. God, I'm asking right now that your Holy Spirit would water each of us, refresh us, and give us strength in areas where we feel pretty weak. And give us comfort in the areas of our life where we feel pretty broken. God, I'm asking for transformation to happen for every person that's listening to me right now. That's your